0: Have we really been doing it by the book? The Unexamined Life is Not Worth Living. Socrates We do everything by the Word of God. The New Testament is our guide for faith and practice. We live and we die by this book. These were the words that thundered forth from the mouth of Pastor Farley as he delivered his Sunday morning sermon. Winchester Spudchecker, a member of Pastor Farley's church, had heard them dozens of times before, but this time it was different. Dressed in his blue suit, frozen in the back pew with his wife, Trudy, Winchester stared at the ceiling as Pastor Farley continued talking about doing everything by the sacred book. One hour before Pastor Farley began his sermon, Winchester had had a fuming fight with Trudy. This was a common occurrence as Winchester, Trudy, and their three daughters, Felicia, Gertrude, and Zenobia, got ready for church on Sunday morning. His mind began replaying the event. Trudy, why aren't those kids ready? We're always late. Why can't you ever get them prepared on time? Winchester yelled as he anxiously glanced at the clock. Trudy's response was typical. If you ever thought to help me, this wouldn't happen all the time. Why don't you start giving me a hand in this house? The argument went back and forth until Winchester turned on the children. Zenobia Spudchecker, why can't you respect us enough to get ready on time? Felicia, how many times do I have to tell you to turn off your PlayStation before 9 a.m.? Hearing the commotion, Gertrude burst into tears. Wearing their Sunday best, the Spudchecker family finally drove to church at breakneck speed. Winchester hated to be late, and had received three speeding tickets this past year, all given to him on Sunday mornings. As they raced to the church building, the silence in the car was deafening. Winchester was steaming. Trudy was sulking. With their heads down, the three Spudchecker daughters were trying to prepare their minds for something they hated. Another long hour of Sunday school. As they pulled into the church parking lot, Winchester and Trudy gracefully exited the car, sporting large smiles. They held each other arm in arm and greeted their fellow church members, chuckling and putting on the pretense that all was well. Felicia, Gertrude, and Zenobia followed their parents with chins pointed upward. These were the fresh yet painful memories that coursed through Winchester's mind that Sunday morning as Pastor Farley continued his sermon. Brooding in self-condemnation, Winchester began to ask himself some searching questions. Why am I dressed up prim and proper, looking like a good Christian, when I acted like a heathen just an hour ago? I wonder how many other families had this same pitiful experience this morning, yet we're all smiling nice and looking pretty for God. Winchester was a bit shocked by these thoughts. Such questions had never before entered his consciousness. As he peeked over to see Pastor Farley's wife and children sitting prim and proper on the front pew, Winchester mused to himself, I wonder if Pastor Farley screamed at his wife and kids this morning. Hmm. Winchester's mind continued to race in this direction as he watched Pastor Farley... Pound the pulpit for emphasis, and raise his Bible with his right hand. We at First Bible New Testament Community Church do everything by this book. Everything. This is the Word of God, and we cannot stray from it, not even one millimeter. Suddenly Winchester had another new thought. I don't remember reading anywhere in the Bible that Christians are supposed to dress up to go to church. Is that by the book? This single thought unleashed a torrent of other barbed questions. As scores of frozen pew-sitters filled his horizon, Winchester continued to ponder similar new questions. Questions that no Christian is supposed to ask. Questions like, is sitting in this uncushioned pew, staring at the back of 12 rows of heads for 45 minutes, doing things by the book? Why do we spend so much money to maintain this building when we're here only twice a week for a few hours? Why is half the congregation barely awake when Pastor Farley preaches? Why do my kids hate Sunday school? Why do we go through this same predictable, yawn-inspiring ritual every Sunday morning? Why am I going to church when it bores me to tears and does nothing for me spiritually? Why do I wear this uncomfortable necktie every Sunday morning when all it seems to do is cut off blood circulation in my brain? Winchester felt unclean and sacrilegious to ask such things. Yet something was happening inside of him that compelled him to doubt his entire church experience. These thoughts had been lying dormant in Winchester's subconscious for years. Today, they surfaced. Interestingly, the questions Winchester had that day are questions that never enter the conscious thinking of most Christians. Yet the sober reality is that Winchester's eyes had been opened. As startling as it may sound, almost everything that is done in our contemporary churches has no basis in the Bible. As pastors preach from their pulpits about being biblical and following the pure word of God, their words betray them. The truth is that precious little that is observed today in contemporary Christianity maps to anything found in the first century church. Questions We Never Think to Ask Socrates, 470-399 BC, is considered by some historians to be the father of philosophy. Born and raised in Athens, his custom was to go about the town, relentlessly raising questions and analyzing the popular views of his day. Socrates believed that truth is found by dialoguing extensively about an issue and relentlessly questioning it. This method is known as dialectic, or the Socratic method. He thought freely on matters that his fellow Athenians felt were closed for discussion. Socrates' habit of pelting people with searching questions, and roping them into critical dialogues about their accepted customs, eventually got him killed. His incessant questioning of tightly held traditions provoked the leaders of Athens to charge him with corrupting the youth, as a result, they put Socrates to death. A clear message was sent to his fellow Athenians. All who question the established customs will meet the same fate. Socrates was not the only provocateur to reap severe reprisal for his nonconformity. Isaiah was sawn in half. John the Baptist was beheaded. And Jesus was crucified. Not to mention the thousands of Christians who have been tortured and martyred through the centuries by the institutional church because they dared to challenge its teachings. As Christians, we are taught by our leaders to believe certain ideas and behave in certain ways. We are also encouraged to read our Bibles, but we are conditioned to read the Bible with the lens handed to us by the Christian tradition to which we belong. We are taught to obey our denomination or movement, and never to challenge what it teaches. At this moment, all rebellious hearts are applauding and plotting to wield the previous paragraphs to wreak havoc in their churches. If that is you, dear rebellious heart, you have missed our point by a considerable distance. We do not stand with you. Our advice? Either leave your church quietly, refusing to cause division, or be at peace with it. There is a vast gulf between rebellion and taking a stand for what is true. If the truth be told, we Christians never seem to ask why we do what we do. Instead, we blithely carry out our religious traditions without asking where they came from. Most Christians who claim to uphold the integrity of God's Word have never sought to see if what they do every Sunday has any scriptural backing. How do we know this? because if they did, it would lead them to some very disturbing conclusions that would compel them by conscience to forever abandon what they are doing. Strikingly, contemporary church thought and practice have been influenced far more by post-biblical historical events than by New Testament imperatives and examples. Yet most Christians are not conscious of this influence, nor are they aware that it has created a slew of cherished, calcified, Humanly devised traditions, all of which are routinely passed off to us as Christian. A Terrifying Invitation We now invite you to walk with us on an untrodden path. It is a terrifying journey where you will be forced to ask questions that proudly have never entered your conscious thoughts. Tough questions, nagging questions, even frightening questions, and you will be faced squarely with the disturbing answers. Yet those answers will lead you face to face with some of the richest truths a Christian can discover. As you listen to this audiobook, you may be surprised to discover that a great deal of what we Christians do for Sunday morning church did not come from Jesus Christ, the apostles, or the scriptures, nor did it come from Judaism. After the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70, Judaic Christianity waned in numbers and power. Gentile Christianity dominated, and the new faith began to absorb Greco Roman philosophy and ritual. Judaic Christianity survived for five centuries in the little group of Syriac Christians called Ebionim, but their influence was not very widespread. According to Shirley J. Case, not only was the social environment of the Christian movement largely Gentile well before the end of the first century, but it had severed almost any earlier bonds of social contact with the Jewish Christians of Palestine. By the year 100, Christianity is mainly a Gentile religious movement, living together in a common Gentile social environment. Strikingly, much of what we do for church was lifted directly out of pagan culture in the post-apostolic period. Legend tells us the last surviving apostle, John, died around AD 100. According to Paul F. Bradshaw, 4th century Christianity absorbed and Christianized pagan religious ideas and practices, seeing itself as the fulfillment to which earlier religions had dimly pointed. While today we often use the word pagan to describe those who claim no religion whatsoever, to early Christians pagans were those polytheists who followed the gods of the Roman Empire. Paganism dominated the Roman Empire until the 4th century and many of its elements were absorbed by Christians in the first half of the first millennium, particularly during the Constantinian and early post-Constantinian eras, 324 to 600. Two other significant periods from which many of our current church practices originate were the Reformation era, 16th century, and the Revivalist era, 18th and 19th centuries. Chapters 2 through 10 each trace an accepted traditional church practice. Each chapter tells the story of where this practice came from. But more importantly, it explains how this practice stifles the practical headship of Jesus Christ and hampers the functioning of his body. Warning If you are unwilling to have your Christianity seriously examined, do not listen to this audiobook. Give this audiobook to Goodwill immediately. Spare yourself the trouble of having your Christian life turned upside down. However, if you choose to take the red pill and be shown how deep the rabbit hole goes, if you want to learn the true story of where your Christian practices came from, if you are willing to have the curtain pulled back on the contemporary church and its traditional presuppositions fiercely challenged, then you will find this work to be disturbing, enlightening, and possibly life-changing. Put another way, if you are a Christian in the institutional church who takes the New Testament seriously, what you are about to read may lead to a crisis of conscience, for you will be confronted by unmovable historical fact. On the other hand, If you happen to be one of those people who gathers with other Christians outside the pale of institutional Christianity, you will discover afresh that not only is Scripture on your side, but history stands with you as well.